between uh, winter weather and public transportation uh, not working great because of winter weather and spring break, uh, this is a pretty typical uh, size gathering for us uh, at this time. Um, we Sometimes we would be in this massive theater where we used to meet when all of our locations were together on spring break, and it was like, you know, 40 of us uh, out of a church of 250. So uh, just for those of you who are new or like, where is everyone? Uh, those variables are real. And several families uh, let us know that we're really sick and we're like, be really sick at home. Uh, you're free to do that. So, uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. So glad that you are, are with us uh, on live stream. And after the live stream is done, Brian Stegner, one of our pastors, is going to be leading uh, an online um, discussion as well. So that link will be in the church21.online.church uh, site. So that's, that's that. Um, before I get started with Acts chapter 10, which Giovanni just read for us, I just want to share with you a little bit of my day yesterday. Uh, so Friday is definitely my day off. Saturday is like, well, maybe it's a day off. We'll see. Um, and yesterday I got a, a text message from one of my friends saying, uh, hey, do you know anyone in Poland? I'm like, well, yeah, I know someone in Poland. And then the question became more specific. Uh, do you know people in Poland that could help get 55 kids out of Ukraine? And I'm like, well, I don't know if I know anyone that has 55 beds, you know, just in the back room. Not sure about that. So then I began texting uh, friends. We're part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, which is a global network, which means that we have people in uh, lots and lots of countries around the world um, doing what we're doing uh, very similarly. So I began talking to someone in Slovakia. Uh, that was at, had people at the Slovakia-Ukraine uh, border to see what they could do on their side to help. Um, but all that to say, I ended up in some uh, meeting yesterday with all kinds of leaders of different ministries, which I didn't intend to be on this call. And Church 21 is helping to put together this database from people globally, but especially in Eastern Europe, of all kinds of resources that we can help out uh, as people are coming to a border they're going to be able to say, uh, I'm coming to the hungry border. I need uh, food. I need place to stay for three days. And uh, I need counseling. And there's a database that already is being worked on right now as we speak. I had to shut my phone off because I was getting messages still about it. Uh, that is helping. Like there's a very real-time need that we have. So, so many people, when crisis happens globally, we're like, well, what can we do? And so often we just send money. But I would say maybe money is not the best thing right now because that's what everyone there is saying. What they need right now is people to actually donate time to help coordinate efforts uh, between um, people coming into the country and needs that are available and all of these things. So, if you have any time over this next week, if you could let me know, that would be really great. If you have administrative gifts and you could handle a group of people and scheduling them and lining up different needs and all those things, uh, that would be great as well. Or if you know someone that's good at that, let me know that as well. Please don't just randomly send me. I know someone who might know someone who does something. I don't have time for that really. But if you have time that you can give, please let me know. And that would be a huge, huge benefit. Uh, and that's really what the workers on the front line are saying they, they need. Also, if you know an immigration lawyer uh, or lawyers in different provinces, I'm just throwing this out there because maybe you do, uh, I would love to speak with them because this uh, agents, one of the agencies that's in Ukraine that's trying to get hundreds of kids uh, into uh, at least temporary care, if not permanent care, uh, they 
they're good in the U.S., but they want to be speaking to people in Canada. Canada's different province to province. Every province is, is different. So again, if you know someone, uh, you can please uh, let, me, let me know. Part of the urgency in this is like just the reality that if Russia does overtake Ukraine, all those kids who are in process to be adopted, that all stops. And everything shuts down and all those kids go back, like hundreds and hundreds of kids that are just known right now go back into who knows what. So uh, I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong in all the things that are going on. War is really, really messy. I'm sure we don't have all the facts of what's taking place, but we do know that real people need real help. And so we can actually offer real help in this, in this moment. So let me pray and then we'll go into talking about other unbelievable things that God does. God, it's times like this that we really feel, I, I feel helpless. You see things coming on massive media streams and what, what can we do? And yet you're the God who takes, who has every king's heart in your hand and you maneuver it as, as you wish and as you desire. So we pray that you, Jesus, would bring peace to that region. Uh, we pray that you would... Um, you would elevate the resources that you already have designated to help uh, these kids and these, these widows and moms and at-risk families who are fleeing uh, the country. We pray for, for these 18 to 60-year-old men who cannot leave the country. And especially for those who are followers of you, that you would, um, that you would embolden them to be ambassadors of truth and reconciliation and life. And that as, as soldiers meet one another, that, that your words of grace might, might transfer people from kingdoms of this world into your kingdom. We just, we just don't know what to do. So would you, Spirit, please lead us. As we're going to see in this text today, you have no problem leading when you want to be very clear in how you want to lead people. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen. All right, so we're, we're continuing on this, in this uh, support-ish group uh, kind of way uh, for the next couple weeks, and then we'll go back into the book of Mark, and we'll do things a bit differently as gathering. Uh, but so glad uh, for what we've been doing up to, this, uh, up to this point. So let me ask you a question, and you can respond if you'd like. Uh, when was the last time you expected the unbelievable to happen? Do you remember? When was the last time you expected the unbelievable to happen. Like going back into the recesses of your mind. I know it's difficult. I remember quite clearly. Um, it was a few Super Bowls ago. And the New England Patriots were down 28 to 3 in the third quarter. Now, for some of you, it's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's fine. It means that there's almost no chance. It was like 0.001% or something that you're able to win at that point. And I'm, I'm sitting on my couch and I, I'm like, I, I believe this can happen. And I, and I fasted for a little while. So maybe it was my fasting that from hot wings for, you know, five minute period that really pushed that over, but probably not. Um, but I remember that. And I remember watching them inch closer and closer and and my, my faith in Tom Brady <laughs> rose and rose that he was actually going to do this, right? And I remember believing that this was going to be possible, though everything uh, looked 
against, against them. Maybe it was the Habs last season. I can't really think outside of sports, I guess, today. Um, maybe it was at Habs last season. Things didn't look good. And all of a sudden, we're like in the finals. Like, how did, that, how did that happen? We shouldn't have been in the finals. This year, there's absolutely no hope. It's like beyond unbelievable at this point. But oftentimes, we have unbelievable things when it comes to things like habits. Like, I don't believe that I could be in this type of shape or I could do this type of thing or get up early or stay up late or have kids or be married or I don't believe that COVID's actually ever going to end. Um, it's so easy to get in a, in a rhythm of expecting the predictable. We look at the variables and we say, yes, I'm going to live a no-risk life. I am only going to stick behind what is predictable and that's what I'm going to do. And, and that's the easiest thing. And so many people, that's how we live lives. And not just everyone, but Christians as well. That, that we live very, very safe, comfortable lives, just doing the predictable. And we think maybe God might be leading us to something that seems a bit like out there. But we're like, no, no, no. God wouldn't ask me to do something that crazy. There's no way God would want me to do that. That's for other people, but not for me. We get into this rhythm of, of expecting the predictable and we've been burned. Maybe you've tried to do something before, but it didn't work out. You, you quote unquote failed in what you thought God was actually calling you into. And so we drift into this place where cynicism exists and, and dominates and we get this certain distrust that, that good will even come again. How many of you have watched press conferences during COVID, heard positive things, and you're like, nah, I don't believe it? Yeah, right? Everyone, right? It's like, this is not actually going to ever end. You know, Christmas was a good example this past year. Some of us have forgotten that. But it's like, we're going to be able to do this. And it's like, actually, no. We're not going to be able to do that. And I know there are reasons for it, not being critical of that. But it's easy to drift into cynicism, isn't it? But here's the thing. As we look through Scripture, and we're just going to look at a brief little piece, we see that God is a God of the unbelievable. God is not a God of the predictable. Like, yes, every day at 7 a.m., God is going to do this. And even if you look at the normal things that are going to happen, like every single day the sun is going to come up. But how many of you predicted what it was going to look like this morning? Right? God is a God of the unpredictable, even in the normal things. He's, he's different. He enjoys, it seems, lots of variables. I don't know, if I, if I was God, I would enjoy doing a different sunrise every day. I would enjoy seeing the world differently every single day, and being extremely creative, and that's who he is as a God. But God is a God of the unbelievable, and it's most clearly seen in Christianity. It's most clearly seen in that this thing we call Christianity, though it was known as the way in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, it, it tells the story of a people who can't do anything for themselves, good enough to earn a relationship with God, but a God who loves those people so much that he did it all for us. That God does the unbelievable. I'm pretty sure that you don't roll up to a job interview and you slide a blank piece of paper across the table and call that your CV and expect to get the job. It's like, yeah, but what are you going to bring to the company? It's like, it's right there, right on the sheet. 
Or then they say, no, you have to bring something and you retract the sheet and you write down all the times that you've gotten fired and why. And then you push that forward. You're like, how's that? It's like, for sure you're not going to get the job. And yet, this is exactly the way that Christianity works. God takes our, our bad CVs and he says, I'm, I'm going to change you. you. You can't bring your little good your good deed on your CV. And God says, well, I didn't know that about you. Because of that, I'm going to accept you. I've been looking for someone just like you. I'm so privileged as God, your creator, God over everything, to have you in my company, in my family, on my team. Wow, I didn't know. It's not that. We slide across this, this CV of rebellion. And God says, I've been waiting for you to come with that. Now I want to change you. Now I want to forgive you. Now I want to bring you into my family. And we're going to look at this today. So I want to look at the unbelievable event that happened in Acts chapter 10. And I want us to see that this is actually more normal than than we think. I also want to tell you that probably almost all of us in this room have benefited from Acts chapter 10. Uh, How many of you were born uh, with Jewish heritage? Like you come from a Jewish line. No one. No one in this room. That means that all of us have benefited from what happens in Acts chapter 10. Like we are part of the unbelievable that Peter would have, was, was gawking at in almost unbelief that this was taking place. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 10. Uh, we'll, we're going to go through parts of it. Uh, so Acts chapter 10 uh, verse 1 says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Acts 10 starts out with this guy named Cornelius. He's an important leader. He's a non-Jew, so he would be known as a Gentile or uncircumcised. Good leader, overseeing a bunch of, a bunch of men in, in battle and uh, was a good man. Gave alms generously, did good things for the people of God. And really many people would think that this is kind of the essence of what it means to be a Christian, that you're a, a good person, that you're nice, you're kind, you do good deeds, uh, you pray once in a while, you give some money. We think that's the, the essence of, of Christianity, doing, doing the right things. But Christianity, as I just explained, it's really about the one who's done all the right things for us because we can't do all the right things. Christianity is about the one who's taken rebellious people full of CVs against God and who's made us right and who's used whiteout that you can't actually scratch off and covered our CVs with his good works. His perfect work so that we can belong to his family. So what I want you to know right now is that while Cornelius is a seeker of God, he's doing really good things. We would, we would praise him as a human for doing these things. He's not yet a follower of God the way that God wants for him to be a follower of him. You don't become a Christian because of what you do. You're a Christian because of what's been done for you. And that's a huge distinction that we need to understand. It's not doing things to become a Christian. It's receiving the things that have been done for you to become a follower of Jesus. But Cornelius is seeking. Listen to what happens in Acts 10 verse 3 to 6. 
At about the ninth hour of the day, so 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. Right? How excited would you be at 3 p.m. to have this warrior of light kind of break into your apartment? He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. So 3 p.m. vision. And what Luke, Luke is the, the author of the book of Acts. What Luke wants for us to know is that God sees him. God sees Cornelius, and this should be very encouraging because the things that you're going through right now, God sees you. God sees you. He understands. He's not absent and distant waiting for you to just figure it out on your own. He sees you, and he sees Cornelius, and God directs him. God is not just transcendent, like out there, hey, I see you. God is also imminent in that he shows up in his room and directs him what to do. God works in a similar way today through his spirit. He might not have an angel of light that that pops in and stands in front of your television and says, here, I'm more important than this TV show or this movie. But he's present in his spirit. And he's speaking all the time, especially through his word. But to those of us who are followers of Jesus, he wants to speak and direct us all the time. Not like which shoe you put on first or should I go ice skating or not today, though maybe, But in the more serious things of life, he wants to direct us. Do you listen to him? When he speaks to you, do you listen to him? Do you take time to listen to him? As we pray, we've been talking about prayers. When I find myself in times of trouble... We, we pray not to Mother Mary, but we pray to God. And part of prayer is that we, we're quiet and we listen to what God has to say as well. Do you listen? Do you make time for that? We recently uh, got a hot tub, which I'm so thankful for. And, uh, and I'm finding that that's my listening place. A very nice, warm listening place. But it's a place where I say, whatever, whatever it is you want to say. Like, I'm, I'm re- I have nothing else to do. I want to I wanna hear from you. Do we listen? Do we listen? What I want to note about this text before we just move on is that um, God could have, in that moment where the angel of God comes, God could have explained it all himself. We've seen this over the past several weeks, haven't we? God could have just done this himself. He could have said, hey, Cornelius, uh, thanks for praying. Thanks for the alms. But here's really what you need to understand about Jesus. And he could have done that. But instead of doing that, he involves this guy named Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, and, and says, hey, I want for you to send for him. And, and it's, it's almost in a sense like testing the faith of Cornelius. Are you willing to, to not just pray and give alms, but are you willing to submit to me and do things the way that I want for you to do? You see, he wants for, sometimes if, if you're like me, we'll, we'll pray for people to receive some sort of vision. Would you give this person a vision of who Jesus is? Would you speak to them? But so often God wants for us to be the ones to speak to other people about who he is. 
as witnesses, and we'll see this at the end of the text, that, that we get to witness about what God has actually done in our lives. That it's not just cold, hard facts about, yeah, Jesus was born around this time, but he didn't, he wasn't really born because he's always existed, but he was entered into human history. And we try and get all the facts right, and we try and witness to that. But what so many people want to know is, does Jesus actually work? Does Jesus actually work? Does, does he work in your life? Does he work when you come against um, certain legal things? Does he work when you don't get the things you want? Does he work when, when you get fired? Does he work when uh, your friend betrays you? Like, how does Jesus actually work? That's what people want to know. How does he work? And as we're his witnesses, we get to tell people about this. This is how Jesus works. Now, I'm going to get back into the narrative. So, uh, Cornelius sends a group to go to, to go to Joppa. All right? And while the group is traveling, Peter went up on, his, up on the roof to pray. And listen to what happens in verse 11 to 16. He fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, for Jewish people, they had all of these unclean animals that they were not supposed to eat. And Peter seeing all these things coming and hearing Jesus say to him, Peter, go get bacon. And Peter's like, I've never had bacon, never eaten that, not going to eat it. That's unclean. That's impure. He says, go enjoy that reptile. Nope. Maybe COVID started in that reptile. Like, I'm not going after that reptile. I know what happens when I eat things from a market. Like all the, right? Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. I'm sure that this probably felt destabilizing for Peter. Never having done something before, knowing that that thing is wrong and then being told by Jesus to go ahead and do it, who told you that you weren't supposed to do that in the first place. That would be very destabilizing. It's like a parent saying, you can't eat that Oreo. You can't eat that Oreo. If you eat that Oreo, I'm going to do this to you. This is going to happen. And then a minute later, it's like, okay, eat the Oreo. It's like, whoa, wait a second. What's going to happen if I eat that Oreo? You told me this. No, 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 go ahead. Really do it. Very destabilizing. Extremely destabilizing. Peter's walking around thinking, processing this vision, saying Jesus told me to eat what he once told me I'm not supposed to eat. And it happened three times, and I like that. I like that, that Peter had to be told three times what to do. Because I feel like I, I'm someone who needs to be told three times what to do. Right? And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, did, did I really hear you correctly? Right? Yes, you did. Wait, are you sure that I heard you correctly? Like, yes. Yes, you did. God is really clear when he wants you to do something. It's not vague. 
It's not, I don't know, maybe I should. God is going to make it really, really clear. And especially important, significant things like, if you say, I think that I'm supposed to move to Ukraine right now to share the gospel with people. You should be very, very clear that God is telling you to do that. Right? You should test that. Because human wisdom says, "Mm, don't know that that's the best idea. But if that's what God has for you, he's going to make that uberly, abundantly clear that that's what you're supposed to do. Just like he let Peter know, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, Peter was confused, but had no time to process this. Listen to what happens in verse 19. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit of God said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. The Spirit leads him out of this place and into uh, the hands, basically, of some people who are coming that the Spirit gives no other clue of who they are. Are these guys good guys or bad guys? Are they coming to hurt me? Are they coming to eat me? Are they coming to praise? Like, what am I going to do? Why are these people coming? The Spirit gives no answer to that. And I would ask you, when the Spirit leads you, are you willing to just go? Are you willing to just go? Do you trust Him? enough to say, okay, I know now that this is clear and I'm willing to do whatever it is that you have need to do. And, and if these three men kill me, well, Spirit, that's exactly what you're leading me into. And I know that, that you are really, really clear about this. When the Spirit says something, do you trust Him? Oftentimes, the Spirit intervenes in our life because it's not the direction that we're going. And it doesn't mean that you're going in a sinful pattern. It's just that it's not the direction we're going. Peter was hanging out, processing this vision. And the Spirit says, hey, like, wake up, Peter. Like, I want you to go with these three men who I've sent here to lead you into the thing that I want for you to be doing. You see, when the Spirit leads us, even though it's not what we necessarily wanted or planned on, it's always into what God, the Father, Son, and Spirit have been planning since before any of creation was made that you and I actually get to be a part of the eternal plans of God. And the Spirit wants to lead us into that. That's quite amazing that we get to participate in this at that level. Uh, Verse 21 and 22 says this, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason that you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. See, Peter goes with them only knowing that the Spirit told him and that Cornelius was waiting. This is a centurion These guys are telling me that he's a God-fearing person, but this might be a whole ploy just to to destroy me and to decimate me. But knowing that the Spirit was telling him to do this, that was enough for him. You see, living Spirit-led lives, we don't need all the questions answered. We just need obedience. Hear that again. Living Spirit-led live... (laughs) Can't say it again. Living Spirit-led lives... You don't need all the questions answered. You just need obedience. It's like when we tell our kids, where are we going? It's like, just get in the car. Yeah, but like, how long are we, like, just be quiet and get in the car. Yeah, but get in the car, you know? Of course, I don't speak that way, but we just need obedience. 
And when Peter arrives, he arrives to a large group. Listen to what happens when he, when he gets there. In verse um, 30 to 33, Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at 3 p.m. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. And here it is. Now, therefore, we're all here. Cornelius had his whole household and all kinds of people were all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is unbelievable. Why? Well, listen to verse 28 and 29. Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He arrives to all these non-Jewish people that internally he's like, I shouldn't be here with you. He even like voices his awkward discomfort. Like I shouldn't be with you right now. But God has just shown me something in a vision that I'm not supposed to call anyone unclean or, or common that God is calling clean or bringing into his family. You see, what's so interesting is that this is the Apostle Peter. I've been to Rome. I've stood on the place where supposedly Peter is buried, like under that, under that place. Like this guy is the Peter. Jesus said, I will, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then he talks about Peter helping to lead this thing. And what we see is that Peter is still learning and changing. Peter is still being led into new things by the Spirit of God. Don't ever arrive at a place where you're like, I did some Sunday school when I was a kid. I listened to some sermons. Uh, I read some blogs. I, I took some classes. I went to seminary. I'm good. The Spirit of God wants to bring you into more and more and more and more and more of Jesus. This is what he wants to do. And he wants to transform you to be more like Jesus. So don't get into that static state where you're like, no, I'm shutting down. I'm going to coast on the Christianity that I have so far because the Spirit has more for you all the time. It's never closing time. It's never last call with the Spirit. He's always ready to give you more of Jesus. And so the Apostle Peter is still learning and changing and he stands up to preach in front of a group of non-Jewish people and you... This is often lost on us. And so I was thinking this morning, like, what's, what's a good illustration of this? And again, I went to sports. I'll leave that alone. But this would kind of be like, you know, a, a, a Christian being able to go and, and preach at a mosque. It's almost that stark of a difference. It's, it's that kind of like, what is going to happen? Or what is happening? This doesn't take place, and yet Jesus is making this take place. You see, the group that you always felt were the other, the, the group that you were disgusted by in the kingdom of God is brought in and loved dearly by him. So when we think about the, the Russian and the Ukraine, like in the family of God, there's going to be Russians and Ukrainians there. That that. This would kind of be like a Ukrainian going into Russia right now to, to share 
the gospel, right? It's, it's that stark of a difference. This is the kingdom that we belong to. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every color, every language can be part of the kingdom of God. This is, this is what's happening here. That the Gentiles and non-Jewish people are being brought in this moment. This is where we trace our spiritual ancestry to, is to Acts 10. And this group is eager, anticipating what God would say. I rarely feel that in the West. I just have to be really honest, right? Preached a bunch of sermons, uh, preached all kinds of different churches. In the Western world, I, I very rarely feel like I'm, I'm preaching to a group that's like on the edge of their seats, like, what is God going to say? But I, I definitely experienced this one time. So I've gone to Indi- India five, six, seven times. I don't, I don't remember. And, uh, and I would I, I teach and train um, pastors there with theology. And, uh, and they would train me with boldness and courage because uh, they have so much of it. And uh, I would get to go on this all-day preaching tour. And I would go into these little Indian villages uh, where the gospel and all of the history of those villages has never been known until now. And I would go into this little house of like 30 people. And I would show up and, and I'm like, oh man, we're running late. We've only got a few minutes to be in here. And I would talk to the pastor through a translator and he'd say something like, we've been waiting four hours for you. I'm like, everyone in this little room has been waiting four hours? He's like, yeah, we can't wait to hear what God has to say through you. And, and you preach through a translator and everyone is sitting leaning forward and you say something and it gets translated and everyone says, hallelujah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to stay here, right? Like, how can I move to this little Indian village? I feel like we're not eager to hear what God has to say. That when we come into a church gathering like this, we're like, oh good. You know, we, we get to be together again. We get music again. One day we won't have to wear a mask. And it's like, those are the things we think about. Instead of saying, I'm eager to hear what the Spirit has to say to me today. Like, Spirit, how might you change my life at 10.54, which is telling me I need to wrap up soon. 10.54 on a Sunday morning that might change the course of my life forever. What might you have to say? That we'd be sitting, leaning forward, very, very focused, not on Dwight, but on what the Spirit might be saying. Eager. This is Cornelius' house. Eager and waiting. And then what does Peter share? Peter shares a very simple message. Very, very simple. Sometimes we feel like we have to be very slick with our words and we need to do a good cultural exegesis to know how to bring the gospel to bear on these places. I say, yes, amen, that's good work. But sometimes we just need simple good news about who Jesus is. And that's it. People are not rescued because of your cuteness in what you say. People are not rescued because you have a master's of divinity. People are not rescued because you read your Bible every day. People are rescued because the name of Jesus is proclaimed and the Spirit of God gets down into the recesses of of their heart and brings life where there was darkness and death. That's what happens. We don't need to be cute in our presentation. We just need to talk about Jesus. That's That's what rescues people. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. 
Like Peter's grasping this as he's preaching. He's like, I don't even know if I believe this yet, but I understand that God shows no partiality. That God doesn't look at the faces here and he's like, oh, I like your face. I like the way you're dressed. I like the language you speak. I'm going to choose you based on that. No, God shows no partiality. And then verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter's saying all who want God, all who want God, but on his terms can have him. All who want God on his terms can have him. And this was the piece that Cornelius was missing. And so listen to 36 to 41. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. He's just going through some brief history. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem they put him to death by hanging him on a tree but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and then verse 43 to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter just goes through that, like Jesus came because you and I, we had that, that bad CV. We're trying to present it to God with our good things on the side. And it's just not going to work. Jesus came to die in our place so that we could be forgiven by God and brought into his family and into relationship with him and then be his witnesses. Jesus is alive and he's here. And Peter says in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Peter's saying, I'm the witness called by God to proclaim what is true. Very simple message. And then what happens? Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, and I love this, right? If you're gonna get a sermon interrupted, this is what I want a sermon interrupted for. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. Those sitting forward, eager, anticipating what was going to happen. As Peter is talking about Jesus, the Spirit captures their hearts. And actually, they start speaking. Like, it's not about what Peter's saying anymore. The Spirit of God is doing the work and they're proclaiming things. They believed, submitted their lives and received the Spirit in an instant. Like new life there. This is how God rolls. This is what he does. This is why Christianity is all a gift. It's not because of what Cornelius did. It was what now he understood and submitted his life to. Jesus. Jesus. And this was unbelievable to those who were there. Listen to verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, so the Jewish people who believed that Jesus was actually their Messiah and rescuer, right? The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The unbelievable happens on this day. The Gentiles are now part of the people of God. And God directed and redirected certain people so that lives would be eternally changed. 
the unbelievable people are now, are now in. And so what, what do we do with this text? What do we do with this? Well, first thing is, do you know Jesus like this? There are two people here. We have Cornelius, who was a God-fearing person, but didn't know Jesus yet. He lived his life probably looking in the mirror saying, like, I'm a good person. I give money. Uh, I, I pray. Uh, I want to hear more about God. I'm, I'm not a bad guy. Is, is that you? I've been in the church. I, I grew up in a Christian family. I, I read the Bible. I, that stuff doesn't make you part of the people of God. But submitting your life to Jesus does. You see, I think that Cornelius probably had his life more together than Peter did. And I love that juxtaposition, right? Cornelius needs to be told once what to do. He does it. Peter has to be told three times, and he still says no to Jesus. But Peter understood the gospel. Peter's identity wasn't based on how many times it took for him to understand something. It was based on the fact that he believed in who Jesus was. Do you know Jesus like this? If you don't know Jesus like Peter knew Jesus and Cornelius comes to know Jesus, do that today. There's nothing better that you're going to do today or ever than submit your life to Jesus. He will forgive you and bring you into his family today. The second thing is, what are the unbelievable things that Jesus has done for you? The fact that you're, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, like that's unbelievable. You didn't think your way into it. You didn't work your way into it. God looked at you and had compassion on you and said, I'm going to open your heart to understand who Jesus is. And you gave your life to him because he let you. That's unbelievable. None of us should be able to be a part of the family of God, but we are. That's unbelievable what we celebrate that and we'll take communion in a little bit to remember that. What do we do with this? The third thing is that I think that our prayers have to be more toward this end. That we pray for the unbelievable things to happen. Sometimes in our prayer lives we calculate like what could I actually do when we pray that way? Uh, Lord, help me to be a good dad today. Um, But even that, that's really hard to do. But we calculate things out. Oh, Lord, help us to maybe plant a church once in our lifetime. Could we do that in our own strength? No, but it's a lot easier to do than, Lord, would you bring revival to the whole city of Montreal? I, th- I think our prayers have to match more, more like that. And then saying, okay, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen. What part do you want me to play in this? It's, it's kind of like the, the Ukraine thing. Like we want to help out, don't we? But we look at the, the massiveness of it and we're like, I don't know what to do. But then when we listen, it's like, oh, I could make myself available once this week and I could do this thing. Like that's our contribution. We don't need to be Jesus. Jesus is still going to be Jesus. We pray to him because he can do far and above all that we can ask or think. And I think those are the prayers that glorify him and make much of him. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time praying for unbelievable things uh, today. What are, what are the things beyond all that we can ask or think? Someone a few weeks ago uh, shared out of Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter 3. And they stopped at verse 19 
And I want to finish that, that prayer from a few weeks ago. And Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Not just like who can do a little bit. Far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. According to the power at work within us. That's weird. That God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think through the power that's at work in us. That's our invitation into the impossible and unbelievable. And then verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Because if revival breaks out, it's not going to be because of us. It's going to be because of him. So we're going to pray for the unbelievable. And then the last thing is that we should become um, expectant. We should become expectant for these unbelievable things to actually happen and we begin to watch for them. We begin to watch for them. So going back to my football game at the beginning, there's something that happens in Tom Brady's eyes. Right? This sounds really strange. But there's something that happens in his eyes when, when he's behind. And you can look at it and, and you start to see, okay, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, first down, right? All these things start to happen to get closer to victory. Are we watching? No, are we watching the things? Lord, we're praying for revival. Are we watching? Oh my goodness, my neighbor who's never been interested in Jesus before is asking me questions. Wow, revival's moving. Like things are happening. Um, I didn't like this group of people before, but Jesus, you're helping me to pray for them. Revival's happening. Like it's moving. It, we, it's not like the, the Bell Center is filled up with all kinds of followers of Jesus every week, but it's happening in ways that are, are, we, are we sensitive enough to see it? When these little pieces are happening, are we expectant and spirit-led in our daily lives toward these unbelievable prayers that we're actually praying? So that's how we're going to end today. I mean, we're going to sing and respond, but we're, we're going to end uh, by, by praying for, for unbelievable things to happen. And I don't mean like unbelievable that you will have a killer RRSP. Like, I don't care about that, honestly. You'll be fine probably. But that we would pray that, that lives would be changed for eternity. That we could be useful today. That maybe God would give us a great RRSP so that we'd be able to give for hundreds and hundreds of years after we're gone so that people could continue to meet Jesus through new ministries starting. Like that's a good prayer to pray. But let's pray for the unbelievable things. What? Like we, there's like 10 Christians in, in Montreal, Right? You know, there's not many here. So why don't we begin to ask him to do these impossible things? Pray with us that God would make Montreal the most reached city in the world. Some of you are here to use Montreal. Not, I, I make it sound bad sometimes, but you're here to use it for education. Good, great educational facilities. But maybe you're actually here, uh, yes, to get an education, uh, but to tell people who are here about the goodness of, of Jesus. And maybe you're actually here to stay. Maybe you're here to call Montreal your home and you're like, yeah, I don't speak French. I know, it's hard to learn, but I did it. I feel like if I can learn a language, almost anyone can learn a language. These barriers that we put up in our, our minds that we think can't be overcome, uh, we, we have someone who does uh, far and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think through the power that works in us. You can learn a language. 
And you know what? You can even speak in a language you've never spoken in before to communicate the gospel to someone if God wants you to do that. Right? God, God usurps and bypasses the language all the time to do what he wants to do. I'm just going to keep talking if I just keep talking. So let me pray and we'll take communion and be reminded of the impossible, unbelievable thing that was done for us. And then we'll respond through singing and then we'll, we'll pray. Jesus, I, I still can't believe that you would rescue me. I had nothing to contribute to you whatsoever and you brought everything and I thank you for that. And my brothers and sisters and people in this room, we had nothing to bring to you, but you came to us. You rescued us. Thank you so much. Would you remind us of that unbelievable act that you did on the cross for us where you wore our sin, our rebellion, our shame, and you put that to death and you were buried in a tomb and three days later you exploded out of the grave with life. And now you're here with us in our midst wanting to minister to us and to help us believe that you can do far and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Help our, our asking and our thinking to get closer to what you can actually do this morning. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen. So uh, we're going to take communion and we haven't done this in a little while, so I'm excited to do this. Um, there's a little layer at the top of this that you can uh, peel back and this little wafer represents something that this wafer can never really add up to. Yeah, this is just a housekeeping note. As you're coming in, and we haven't had these in a little while, but as you're coming in from now on, just grab one of these and just put it under your chair in a place you won't step on it and create a big mess. But this, this little wafer represents something unbelievable that Jesus, the God of the universe, became man and allowed his body to be broken in your place. Unbelievable. So today, take this in celebration of what he did for you. And then we have this, this little cup of juice that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you. Your blood, your sacrifice could never be enough, but his was. So this represents the unbelievable that Jesus let his blood be shed so that you and I can be called sons and daughters of God. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Yes, Jesus, you have done it. Thank you for this visceral, almost tasty reminder of what you've done. I can't wait to be in your kingdom. And when we take the, the meal together and you lifting up this cup of salvation for us to get to drink from forever. Help us to celebrate uh, well uh, throughout the rest of our gathering this morning, thank you, Jesus, that you are alive and active. You're in our midst. Help us to um, help us to be reminded of that through the Spirit as we're singing and as we're praying. We love you and need you. Amen.